0: Worship and prayer are the key to seeing the kingdom of heaven manifested on the earth. Worship is agreement with God. We agree with what God said about God, man, and the earth. In worship, we bring ourselves, our city, our region, etc., into agreement with God. Worship is so much deeper than a few songs on a Sunday morning before a message. Worship is like a great highway connecting heaven and earth. Amen. So this is what we got going on. To stir our hearts in worship in this place. So let's just uh, let's just yeah let's just pray. <clears throat> pray for the word right now. So Lord, we just thank you of what you're doing in this in this growing church and what you're doing in this region. Lord, we just pray that our hearts and our minds and our spirits be just open to receive the intricacies, the mysteries, the keys of worship, prayer, and intercession. Lord, we just pray that we can get people that just are willing to receive of your word to step out as the worshippers that we're intended. Lord, we just pray for Jose's word that would touch our hearts with, and be seeds that grow into strong, strong things the Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.
1: Amen. All right. Last sermon of the year. Everyone ready for the new year? All right. Well, it's too bad for you. So. I'm excited to talk. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about worship, uh, probably the topic most passionate about. Uh, like Dave said, Dana and I we have the incredible privilege we get to to help co lead the Heart of David Movement, which is based out of Austin, Texas. It was started by uh, one of my best friends, uh, Rick Pino. Some of you might have heard his music before. If not, it's okay. He's an awesome, awesome guy and. We started it with, with really just a, a, a stirring in our hearts from the Lord to, to create a community of worshipers centered around the presence of God. And uh, we launched five years ago, we have a school of ministry, and we have students that come from all over the world to just spend a year under the fire hose of God's presence. And it's, uh, it, it, it's incredible. We have all these young people that come, and spend anywhere from four to five hours a day in worship and prayer. And then within that, they do two hours of te- We do two hours of teaching on worship, prayer, Tabernacle of David, on the end times, on different things. Uh, so it's like an hour of worship, two hours of teaching, three hours of worship and prayer. Uh, and then from there, we take them to the nations uh, to just take what they've received uh, during the semesters and just impart it in the nations. And We've been all over the place with the students in Ecuador and Colombia and India, South Korea, Philippines, all over the place. And uh, from that, from those relationships and uh, ministry that Rick does, traveling and Dan and myself, we, we launched last year a network called Heart of David Global. And we have different ministries and churches and uh, houses of prayer. All over the world, if you guys are tired and you're falling asleep, I want you to stir yourself up and wake yourself up. Amen. Yes. Don't don't do it. Don't do it while I'm preaching. I will call you out. Amen. <laughs> I will, I really will. I'm lovingly, lovingly. Is that okay? Are we good with that? Amen. And so we have all these churches and houses of prayer all over the world that are connected to the network that, that again are just marked by this vision. And this desire to build the Lord a resting place in their city. And we're just convinced, just utterly convinced in the power of our worship. And so right now, all over the world, uh, and, and not just people that are connected to Heart of David, but in general, we are living in what I believe is probably the greatest hour, one of the greatest hours of human history and church history. And there's just this incredible explosion of worship and prayer right now on the earth like no other time in history. I mean, what God is doing in the place of worship, in the place of prayer, and not just... And like Dave said, he read the little bulletin thing. And when I talk about worship, I'm not just talking about 45 minutes, 30 minutes of passionate worship on Sunday. That's good but that's that's actually not what God has in mind. And and He's actually, I think we're maturing globally in the body of Christ from just this concept of worship. It, it's just songs that I sing on Sunday morning before a messenger. A worship is just, you know, the, the, the song service and well, I don't really like worship, I, I just like the message. God is delivering us from that perverted mindset. It is, it, it's impossible. I mean like Jesus didn't die so that we could sing three songs on Sunday. Like that's that's like so far away from the reality of the kingdom of God. And just all over the world there's this hunger and there's this zeal for worship to, to encounter the presence of the Lord and to host the Lord's presence. And it's happening in some of the craziest places that I, and I won't get into that Too much today, but I want to tell you that worship is serious. Like, worship is important. Worship is more important to God than it is to us. Right? And one of the ways that we, we talk about worship is that worship is our response to the worth of God. It's what we're doing. And I want to ask you the question is God only worth 45 minutes and half of us don't even show up on time for it on a Sunday? Like the eternal God who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, holds the universe in the palm of his hand, is so radiant and glorious that in the age to come in the new Jerusalem, there's not going to be need for a sun or a moon Because the radiance and the brightness of his glory is literally going to light the universe. And what we're saying is that God is only worth 45, and for most of us it's too long, 45 minutes of half-connected singing on a Sunday. And, and, And I would venture to say that if that is your idea of worship or what God is worth, then you don't know God and you're probably not even really born again. Because it's impossible to know God and dumb down worship to three songs on a Sunday. So we we got to get this into us today. Worship has nothing to do with you or with how you feel or with what you need. Let me say it better like that. You, it, your worship is very important, but it doesn't matter how you feel. I know that's so different than the way we think today, but I, I'm, I'm gonna, and this is not even point one, but I do want to say this, this is so important because if we're going to grasp worship, you have to understand this. God doesn't care about your opinion. Amen. I know that sounds crazy. He loves you. He values you, but your opinion, in the, when it comes to worship, doesn't matter. Because worship has nothing to do with how I feel. Nothing to do with well, you know, I don't really like lifting my hands. I don't like that song. It's too... Worship has everything to do with the worth of the God that sits on the throne on the sea of glass in heaven. Amen. Period. 100% of the time. Every time we come to worship, you have to evaluate how much is God worth. Give him that. Amen. And, 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 and I think, you know... If you want to be a good worshiper, let this be the standard. Every time you come to worship, how much is he worth? Give him that and you'll be a good worshiper. Wow. Every time. And, and, and I'll tell you, especially within the context of Heart of David, we do a lot of worship. A lot of worship. Like when you come back from lunch break and you've eaten all the tacos and you're exhausted and you want to nap, right? But you have three and a half hours of worship. And 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 you and, and especially if you're a student, you can't do anything else. That's like a part of the school. You're you pay tuition to worship three four hours a day. And there's like there's no there's and worship isn't reading a book. It isn't. Well, I'm, no no no. It's not sloking. You are going to actively engage with the Lord for three hours. Well, I don't feel like it. I don't care how you feel. It has nothing to do with how we feel. I had a bad day. It has everything to do with the eternal worth and value of the God on the throne. And I would venture to say this. If you have lost your passion in worship, it's because you've probably lost sight of God. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and, and I'll tell you, and I'm so stirred because I really believe that God's hand is on the city of Philadelphia. Yeah, and God wants to do something out of Philadelphia and out of Bristol. I really believe He wants to do something and I believe it's connected to worship, which means that if God is getting ready to do something incredible with worship, then that means that he's about to touch the people with a revelation of the knowledge of God. And we are about to get marked again with an understanding of just how extravagant and worthy God is of our worship. I mean, it's going to happen. And that's why I meant when, when, you know, when we do these long hours of worship. A lot of what we teach at Heart of David is on the worth of God or the knowledge of God. We teach a lot on subjects that will provoke the human heart to worship. So worship is central. It's, absolute, it's absolutely key. And, and I tell you, we've got to get delivered of, I only like the message. You only like the message because you don't know God. That's the truth. And if you're offended, email Dave. Or oh, I guess you can email Josh now. <laughs> <laughs> Josh will be taking those emails. (laughs) All right, but enough on that. How many of you guys are blessed by worship this morning? What? That was so good. Mario and Jess. You guys killed it. But it's good. But listen, all that to say, your worship absolutely matters. And it doesn't matter because God's having a bad day and he needs us to make him feel better. That's not why we worship. So, this, we think that we're doing God a favor? For God is actually doing us the favor. I mean, could you imagine Amen. all the sin that you have committed in your life, and God allows you to come and sing to Him? Hallelujah! Amen. I mean, could you like just think about that? that's wild? And not only does He allow you to come and stand in front of Him and sing, He allows His presence to come into the room, and it doesn't kill you. Amen. Amen. Do you understand the mercy? And the goodness of God that he lets you worship. that That you, you probably lost your temper this morning at your dog or whatever. And you get here and you just open up your mouth and God is pleased by your word. Like God doesn't just sit there. No, God actually enjoys your worship. I mean, could you like, Paul says about God, he says, who can know the mind of God? He said, no one save the spirit of God. Imagine the God that you cannot know. I mean, imagine, this God, there's like, there is no cerebral way for you to understand the mind of God. There's nothing. you could be the most learned, studied person. You can't really know Him, but you have the ability to satisfy Him in worship. This is remarkable. And so, I want to say this. We're going to talk about why worship matters. And it begins with this because God absolutely values your worship. And, and, and more than again, just because he's having a bad day, but because there's, there's a role that worship plays in the affairs of the earth and heaven. For every believer. And when I'm talking about worship, I'm not talking about just what happens on the stage. Right? Every, raise your hand if you're a believer in Jesus. Raise your hand high. high. You, should be, you should be excited about that. You are called to worship. Okay, for eternity, you will not be evangelizing. Amen. There is going to come an hour of human some of us might actually be alive as the as the age ends when the Lord said, "Right, evangelism's done. <laughs> it's over." If you didn't get it on the other end, you're done. Some of us might be allowed to see that, but you know, for eternity, you're not going to be evangelizing. Amen. For eternity, you're not going to be making disciples. For eternity, we're not going to be preaching. For eternity, we're not going to be healing the sick. We're not going to be casting out demons. We're not even going to be prophesying. Prophecy is going to come to an end. Amen. But for eternity, we will be worshiping. Worshiping is more connected to your identity than any other function or form of ministry that the Christian does. Amen. Do you know that? Think about that. Your eternal. Nature, your eternal identity, your eternal destiny, who you will be for the rest of forever and ever and ever and ever is more connected to worship than anything else that you do. Amen. And let me say, when I say worship, I mean both singing and praying. I mean both. You're going to pray forever and you're going to worship forever. Can I say something that might stir up the water a little bit? But we're adults, right? If you don't like worship, you don't like long worship, you should probably go to hell because you won't like heaven very much. True statement. I'll say it again. So You're like, he didn't say that. I did! (laughs) If you don't like long worship, you're probably not going to like heaven. You'll probably like hell a lot better. I mean, this is the truth. Because when you get to heaven... Has, hey, hey, and let me just tell you heaven's not the big deal Jesus is Amen. would you even want to be in heaven if he wasn't there? you know, like there's streets of gold well you can do that yourself Amen. but when you get there when you seek him your automatic reaction isn't going to be like oh thing you're going to begin to respond in worship to what you see Amen. and we know this this is a biblical precedent every biblical description of heaven everybody in heaven is either singing or praying that's it. No one's silent. No one's sitting. No one. Th- well, I don't feel like it today. And uh, 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 what do you see? Who is on the throne? Could you imagine one of the four living creatures wakes up and he's like, Ah, you know, Lord, I'm having a bad day. <laughs> I know you're like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance, and there's an emerald rainbow around your throne, and you have eyes like fire, and you could speak a word and I could disintegrate and you hold the universe in the palm of your hand, yet you became a man. Ah, uh, you- what can I tell you, Lord? I just don't like singing. <laughs> you would probably explode. You would just... <laughs> I mean, could you imagine one of the, like, the martyrs that live under the altar in heaven? Like, oh, Lord, I know. You know, I'm just too busy today to worship. Like, I, could you imagine? Like, that would be the most ridiculous thing to say in heaven... And we're all like, you know, we're heavenly kingdom, heavenly culture. To be a part of the culture of the kingdom of God is to worship excessively. All right? I want to worship excessively and extravagantly because my God is extravagant and excessive in his goodness. So this is key. But your worship is significant. It's connected to your identity. And again, worship is so much more than just to like, you know, touch the Lord's heart. Worship is forever connected. Like, worship is how God is going to release the kingdom of heaven on the earth. And that means that your worship, your personal worship, whether you ever do it on a microphone, it doesn't matter. Some of us shouldn't. But your personal worship has eternal weight and value. And your worship can transform cities, regions, and nations. And I'm not just saying that because it sounds good. I'm saying that because we've done it. I'm saying it because it's biblical, and I'm saying it because we've done it. I want to look at something. Before we really get into worship, I want us to first really understand the will of God. Anybody ever wonder what the will of God is for your life? Anybody? One honest person. Good. Well, you know what the Bible says about liars. They're not going to Chick-fil-A. Anybody ever wondered about the will of God for your life? Okay, good. I'm about to answer it for you. So after I read this verse, you never have to wonder, oh, what's the will of God for my life? Paul's about to tell you. Right? Now, everything else that you do, your assignment whether you're a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary or you work at Starbucks, it doesn't matter. Everything you do has to be connected to what Paul says, this is the eternal. This is the mystery of the will of God or this is what it's all about. This is what it all boils down to. Look at this. Verse 9 of Ephesians chapter 1. So we're talking about why worship matters, but we're beginning with understanding the will of God because it's connected. Amen? Verse 9. Having made known to us The mystery of his will. So that means, when I keep reading, you can no longer say that the will of God is a mystery. So next time you're like, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I'm going to say, I told you. So I'm about to tell you. You're like, I've never known. You've been a Christian for 20 years. I'm about to, like, take care of your life for you. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, which he, uh, 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 according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth in him. Let me, that's like a, a mouthful. Translated to the New King James Version. Really wanted to confuse us when they translated this into English. But essentially, here's what they're saying. Here's the will of God. That at, when it's all said and done, when this current period or age of human history comes to an end. You guys know it's all going right? to, It's all, it's going to come to an end. We're going to enter into a new age when Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth. He says, here's what here is the will of God. When it's all said and done, he's going to take heaven, he's going to take the earth, and he's going to fully reunify them. Does that make sense? In other words, God is going to make every wrong thing Right. He's going to bring full justice to every form of injustice on the earth. God's going to bring justice to cancer. He's going to bring justice to addiction. He's going to totally, he's not going to destroy the earth. He's going to renew the earth and he's going to reunify heaven and earth as it was in the garden. And and, and, and here's what that looks like real quick. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Talking about Jesus, verse 16, Colossians is talking about Jesus. For by Him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the beginning, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Right? For it pleased the Father that in him the foolish should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. In other words, God is going to restore order to the cosmos. He's going to restore order. In other words, every form of government, leadership, authority, throne, dominion that Satan usurped from Jesus, God is going to fully restore to Jesus. Everything. Everything. Every, literally, that means, I mean, I was meditating on this yesterday. That means that the, there is a throne over the city of Philadelphia. Do you know that? There's principalities, there's a throne. And God says, there's going to come an hour when I'm going to fully bring everything back to order and I am going to hand that city back to my son forever. That's the will of God. And and everything that we do on the earth, whatever your assignment is, whatever you do, whether you work at a church or you work at the food bank, it doesn't matter. Everything we do in the kingdom is aimed... At partnering with the Lord to bring order back to the earth. And order is this. No other king but King Jesus. No other government but the government of God, right? No other leadership but Jesus' leadership. And we're going to bring the entire earth back into full submission to the leadership of Jesus... And then God's going to reunify heaven and earth and is going to completely eradicate once and for all sickness, disease, uh, addiction, sex trafficking, all of it. God's going to release the final blow of judgment on every form of injustice. That's the will of God. That's what he's doing. That's why Jesus becomes a man. That's why he dies. That's why he resurrects. That's why you're here. That's why if it was all about going to heaven, when you were born again, you would have died and gone to heaven. But is that what it's about. And you're not going to heaven forever. You cannot find one verse that says you're going to go spend eternity in heaven. We made that up. Friends, the whole book ends in Revelation 21 and 22. Heaven is actually coming to the earth. When God created the earth and put man in it and said it was good, he's never changed his mind about that. If God wanted man to live in heaven, he would have only made heaven and created man in heaven, but he doesn't. He creates man and earth because from the beginning, the will of God was for man to live on the earth and he's never changed his mind about that. Is this making sense? So what is he going to do? Well, let me summarize it like this. He's going to bring the earth back into agreement or alignment with God. Or you can say, Jesus is about to bring the most massive chiropractic adjustment to the whole universe. He's <laughs> just going to pop that sucker right back the way it should be. So I want to deliver you from the, you know, one glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. Be delivered from that. You're not going to fly away. You might. But you're going to come right back to the earth and begin to prepare it. for de- Guys, Jesus isn't staying there forever. He's coming here. He didn't say, I, I, I picked... You know, you, you first Chronicles, I picked, you know... No, he says, I have picked Jerusalem. He's talking about a physical city to be my home forever. God, we all want to leave and God wants to come. No wonder he hasn't come back. The whole church is trying to escape and he's trying to come. And he's looking for people to say, no, I don't want to escape. I want to be in the trenches. I want to be on the earth in the darkest hour, shining the brightest light, preparing a landing pad for the kingdom of God in my city and in my family. And how is God going to accomplish this? How's He going to do this? Is He going to sprinkle God dust on the earth, and then if that's it, we're going to wake up one day and everything's great, Bush is president again, Reagan's back. Is that what it looks like? No! It's a lot funnier in Texas when you say that. <laughs> the Northeast are like... Texas, they're like... Ah! Everybody takes out their guns and starts shooting... Philadelphia, they're just like... What? Yeah, give me a freaking cheese stick. <laughs> Texas, it's like you say guns or whatever. And they're like... I was teaching on the end times. I did, a, I did a series on the book of Revelation. I was talking about we're all going to be martyrs. And half my church was like... Well, I'll tell you this much. I might be a martyr, but I'm going down shooting. <laughs> it's like, It's like, You're not fighting against like, the army of North Korea. It's like the beast. Like... This guy's not even fully human. Like, he comes out of the midst of the deep <laughs> with like seven horns on his head. I, I don't know if your 45 like, magnum's going to work on this guy. Like, The devil, that guy is on the earth. <laughs> like, but anyway, I tell you, man, I wouldn't want to be, in, I, actually, I'd want to be in Texas in the end times. You will probably be very well protected. They're going to be praying in tongues and shooting people. So how is God going to accomplish this? Through you and I. Let me say something. Might sound harsh, but I think it's important. If sin is running rampant in our city, it's because we allow it. If darkness and injustice has more of a stronghold in our family and in our cities, it's because we allow it. And I'm not going to get into this too much, but I want to say this, and the reason is this. Because God will not move on the earth outside of human partnership. I could do a whole teaching on that, but I won't. But you have to understand something. When God created the earth, he He gave it to man to have dominion over. And God will never usurp that. That's why God becomes a man. God doesn't come down as a spirit. He comes down as a man because He gave the earth to men. Does that that make sense a little bit? And how, how is he going to do it? Through the worship of the saints. The key to unlocking the door, to seeing the release and the manifestation of the kingdom of God on the earth is going to happen through our worship. Your worship is so much more powerful and so much more important than just singing three or four songs so that the preaching and the message can be really anointed. And I don't care how jacked up you are, how poor you are, how much. I, does it matter? God has placed this emphasis, He's placed this authority and this weight on the worship of human beings that's unlike any other force in the universe. Your worship can transform cities. And no one ever has to hear you. You can literally, in your bedroom, worship and literally disciple nations and transform society. I won't get into this now for the sake of time, but Psalm 149, if you look at it, maybe we'll do a part two to this, but Psalm 149 is the psalm about when Jesus returns to the earth and he makes his, the book of Daniel, his 30-day procession to the city of Jerusalem, making war against the Antichrist's empire and making war against sin. And the sword that the Lord uses is the Song of the Saints. I want you just to picture this real quick. Can we just... End of the age, Jesus returns. He's in the valley of Armageddon with the largest army in human history. It's the army of all the saints from Adam to the last believer. Can you imagine? You have Jesus on a horse. His vesture of his robe is dipped in blood. His eyes are set like flint towards the city of Jerusalem. And every believer in human history is behind him. And in front of us is the ten-nation empire of the Antichrist and this giant army that's coming to fight the man that just came down from the clouds with a whole sea of people. That is the logic of the people on the earth at the end of the age. Like, we can beat that guy. He's got fire coming out of his eyes, and he flies down on a horse. And they show up with their tanks and all of their weapons and all of their technology, and we have harps and trumpets. I want you to think about this. This is Psalm 149. The army of the Lord at the end of the age is going to fight the greatest battle in the history of humanity with singing and making music. And we're going to win in seconds. Worship is how God is going to defeat the Antichrist and his enemies at the end of the age. And not the worship of the professionals. Every single believer will be there. you and I are going to be there worshiping and singing and prophesying. Amen? Well, quickly, what is worship? You ever asked that question before? It's a good question to ask. Why? Because you were created to worship. Because if worship is what you're going to do forever, then you were created to do it. You were created to worship. Does this make sense? What is worship? It's a good question. I think about it all the time. Worship is agreement with God. in its simplest form if I can break it down as this: in worship we come into agreement with God that's why if the will of God is to bring the earth into agreement how is he going to do it? through worship because in worship we bring ourselves we bring our families we bring our cities and we bring our nation into agreement with God is this making sense? now let's break that down a little deeper I break it down into three ways Worship is agreement. It's first agreement with what God says about God. It's so important. It's where it all begins. We agree. It's what I was saying earlier. We come into agreement, into alignment with what God says about himself. Right? Because if we're out of alignment in that place, if we're out of alignment with the revelation of God, with we're out of alignment with the worth and the extravagance of God, we will be out of alignment with everything else. Because you can't walk in identity if you don't even know who He is. You can't walk in authority if you don't know who He is. And so worship, it begins with us in our entire being, our entire life, coming into agreement with the extravagance, the worth, the goodness, the beauty, and the glory of God. That's why... So I was saying earlier, right, that, I, that, that my worship has nothing to do with how I feel, with well, I'm tired, I, I don't, I, you know, I just don't like seeing you, I don't like lifting my hands. No, 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 you missed it. You're not worshiping you. And you're not worshiping your circumstance. Do you know why most of us, most of our lives suck? Can I say that? Because I'm sure you did the last week. Our last month. You know why? Because most of us worship our circumstances more than we do God. You know how I know that? Because when you come on Sunday, you, you, your worship is more empowered by what's going on in your life than the God that you're singing to. And you can sing all the right songs and do all the motions, but if the reality of your heart is that your circumstance has greater weight and greater value than your God, then your God is your circumstance or your situation, or your dad that abused you, or whoever. Because here's the principle you need to understand. What you agree with, you worship. What you worship, you enthrone. What you agree with is what you worship. If you come in here, and you're more into agreement with how you feel than how much God is worth, that's what you worship. And what you worship you give authority to, what you worship. You and I think the reason we don't see healings like the Bible promises in America is because most of us worship our diagnosis more than we do the Lord or we worship our feelings more than we do the Lord or we worship our economic status more than we do. No, no, no. There's only worship him and him only. Amen. I don't care what happened this morning. It, when you come, he's all that matters. That's right. Nothing else matters. No, I don't care how you feel. My dad beat me for twenty years, but do you know who's on the throne? He's a better father. Amen. Come out, so so this is. I'm bringing it. I'm trying to make this so simple. Worship is agreement. What are you agreeing with, or who are you in agreement with? Amen. So important. Number two, worship is agreement with what God says about man, because it isn't just believing in the worth of God. It's agreeing or believing in the worth that God places on you as an individual. Say that again. So worship isn't just agreeing or believing in the worth of God, but it's agreeing in the value or the worth that God places on you as an individual. Let me say something. We, we say this phrase a lot, and I can't stand it. Oh, God, I'm not worthy. If you weren't worthy, God wouldn't have died for you. God would not waste his time for something that has no worth or value. you understand what I'm saying yes. oh I'm so unworthy no you're not you think God is gonna spill the blood of His son for something that's he didn't die for dogs or cats he died for you right. he never died for an angel why because you have worth you have value and if you don't get that you'll worship wrongly right. so there's two ways you worship you either worship as a son or you worship as an orphan Amen. you either worship responding to the goodness of God responding to the love of God or you worship in order to be loved by God. One is manipulation, and manipulation is like witchcraft. I don't worship to convince God about anything I worship because He's already poured out His love. I'm responding to the love of God. This is important. And, 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 the, and listen, if you, worship, if you worship trying to get God to notice you, if you worship trying to get God to love you, you will never be freed from that place because you will be fighting for something you've already had your whole life. And most of us were so broken because we think that, okay, i got 45 minutes to convince God to like me. I've got 45 minutes to convince God to heal me. And you know what, that, that's, that's witchcraft. That's Baal worship. That's maybe if I cut myself, blah, 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 blah. No! And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that There's sometimes there's seasons where you've got to sing it out prophetically. I know it's true, but I don't know it's true here sometimes. So I'm singing over my heart, but I'm not singing to be loved. I'm singing to believe. Like, Lord, I believe it. Help my unbelief. But you got to believe what God says about, him, about himself, and you got to believe what God says about you, because if you don't, you'll never worship in purity. You'll always worship as a beggar. And I'm telling you, God, and this is important, and this, this is like 20 teachings here, God does not receive impure worship. so important. How you worship is as important as why you worship. You worship because he's worth it. And we worship because we're accepted. It's as important. And if we come with any other motive, you might as well just sit down. Amen. I know that sounds crazy, but there's an entire book of the Bible where God is judging worship. It's called the book of Malachi. Because he takes it serious. And number three, we agree with what God says about the earth. Why? Because God wants to use your worship to transform the earth. Because we, if we're going to, the prophetic words and the things that the Lord has promised instead of a Bristol, if we are going to fulfill those things then we, be, we need to begin to take our worship more serious. Mm-hmm. Guys, I'm telling you, do you know that what we sing in this room can literally cha- completely transform and change what's happening out there? Share a quick testimony with you guys. Is that cool? We were in, uh, I shared this a few weeks ago, but most Americans have the attention span of a gnat, so I will re-share it. We were in, uh, we were in, I almost forgot to see my attention span. We were in Bogota, Colombia. We were driving, we are on our way to a service. It was just a few weeks ago, on our way to service. And on the way to service, we get stuck in crazy traffic. Crazy traffic. And we're like, what's, you know, what's going on? And all of a sudden, hundreds of young people come flooding the streets. And we find ourselves in the middle of a full-blown riot. And I'm in a private bus. We have a a team of like a whole bunch of 17, 18, and 19-year-olds. And Dan and I are in charge of them. And we can't go anywhere. We are completely locked in. And there is a riot with riot police shooting tear gas at the people. It's like, (laughs) whoo! You're just sitting there. And now, we have to decide for real... Is worship, is worship really more than just 45 minutes and little songs before preaching? Is worship so much more than just to make myself... There's our worship... Can we really transform cities? Does my worship really have the ability to take the earth, to take Bogota, Colombia, and to bring it into agreement with God? And that we can sing something that breaks up a riot. So now we're going to test this thing out. Is this thing real? So we start singing in the bus. And this is like, you know, your whole ministry is on the line because all the students and the followers of your ministry are on the bus. Like, all right, guys, let's do it. Let's see if this thing really works. Because if not, we might as well just cancel the conference and go home. <laughs> we're wrong. Sorry. <laughs> Do whatever you want. (laughs) Like, because now you got to do it. So we start singing and we start prophesying and we start exalting the Lord in our worship. And out of nowhere, the group just disperses and splits down the middle. We have so many testimonies. Members of ISIS getting saved through worship. People in the Philippines getting saved. Guys, we have seen it year after year, time and time again, that when we begin to go to this place of of understanding worship, that we see salvations, we see healings, we see deliverances, we see city transformation. Guys, God wants to take the worship of Bristol higher. Imagine what we sing on Sunday becomes the headline news on Monday. Can I share one more testimony? Is that cool? I love sharing testimonies. I know I'm a little more long-winded today, but it's okay. You're good, yeah. McDonald's will be there. We're good? Okay, good. Rick was, in, uh, Rick was in Brussels, in Belgium. I wasn't here for this one, this is good in Brussels. Just a few weeks after the terrorist attack in the airport. You guys remember that? Yeah. They blew up the airport. So he's there leading worship, because that's our jam. The terrorist attack, let's go there and do worship. So he's there, and he's there with his whole family. He's leading worship, and in the middle of worship, the Lord says, Rick, I am about to expose a terrorist attack tonight. I want you to sing it out. And Rick says, I'm not doing that. It was like, Lord, too soon. (laughs) And he's singing, but in his mind, he's like, nope. Nope, not doing that. And the Lord's like, Rick, man, it's a principle. If you don't sing it, I won't do it. Why? Because worship is the key. Dude, Right? Because your worship is valid. Because God won't move in your city unless you do it. Unless you give him permission. And the permission, are they, unless you open the door and the, there's a key to unlock the door. And that key is called worship. And why aren't we seeing God move? Because worship, we just made it to this 45, this three song, we just sing whatever. We find whatever song sounds good. This chorus works. and We just sing whatever. We just do whatever. But it's not really worship. It's just Christian karaoke. Oh, I'm being serious. Why? Because when you worship, there ought to be a literal manifestation of the kingdom of God. Why? Because Amen. God moves when we worship. And, and it can look different ways, right? Sometimes it's intimacy. Sometimes it's inner healing. Sometimes it's city transformation. I'm not saying it always has to be like God wipes out an entire terrorist clan in the Middle East. But he says, I'm going to expose terrorism. You need to sing it. And he says, Lord, I'm not doing it. But the Lord's like, if you don't sing it, I won't do it. So he begins to sing this out. God's about to, he begins to prophesy that God was about to expose terrorism again, and he was going to break the back of it, and then the night was over. The next morning, he's having breakfast with the pastor, and the wife comes to the hotel, and she's freaking out. She's like, did you see the front page of the newspaper? Of course, Rick doesn't read the newspaper. He's like, no. He's like, last night, during the meeting, Paris and Brussels were playing a soccer game here in Brussels, and eight guys showed up to the stadium with bombs in their backpack, and at the same time that you were singing, an anonymous call came in to the to the, Brussels, to the Belgium government and said, there's going to be a terrorist attack tonight. There's eight guys with backpacks. And all eight were found and the whole terrorist attack was diverted. That's a true story. We could celebrate that. I mean, guys, I mean, could you imagine if we started doing that? I mean could you imagine if what we sang on sunday was on the front page of monday's newspaper could you imagine if we begin to step into such a revelation and an understanding of the power of our worship that we begin to write the future history of philadelphia could you imagine if on wednesday night we begin to change the culture and the identity of bristol pennsylvania that's what God calls worship. And that's where God wants to take us in worship. God wants to raise up the sort of worshipers, the sort of intercessors that understand that we have the power and the ability to bring the earth into agreement with God. Anybody else stirred up about this? I want you to look at something. So, worship is agreement with God, right? It's agreement with what God says about God agreement with what God says about man, and agreement with what God says about the earth. The Hebrew word for worship, mostly used in the Old Testament, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, but it's And it means to bow the head below the heart. I like to think of it like this. Meditate on this. It's to take logic, reason, it's to take me, and to cause it to bow down to love. And I'm submitting all form of logic. I'm taking my circumstance. I'm taking everything that says why I shouldn't worship it, why I shouldn't worship, and I'm causing it to bow down or to come into agreement with why I should worship. Because this is so important. The chief motivation of worship has to be love. So important. We don't worship because we're good A.G. Christians. We don't worship because it's what you know. It's what, it's what you do on Sunday. You sing a few songs and go. No, this isn't like running or, or, or doing push-ups. We worship because we love God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's why, Shakar. It's to take everything here, and sometimes it's you know. There's things about God that I don't like. I don't like. That if my brother died tonight, he would probably go to hell. I don't like it. But it doesn't matter. He's God. And so I'm going to take everything that I wish were different, I'm going to bow it down to love. And I'll say, I trust in you because you love me. I trust in your leadership. And I love you because I know you're good. That's worship. I don't like it. I don't like forgiving my enemies. Are you crazy? When you get cut off in traffic, the Lord like bless that guy. I'm like, bless you. <laughs> I don't like. Come on, you know what I'm I don't like it, but I do. Why? Because I love him, and because love is the driving force, not logic. It's so a worship. We submit. To, we're driven by love, and in that, we bring the earth into agreement with God. I want to look at something really quick, and then i be done in like ten minutes. Is that okay, Pastor Dave? I want to look at something. Go to Psalm 68. It's one of my favorite psalms to look at. You guys enjoying yourselves? Yeah. So we're driven by love because we know who He is and we know who we are. And so as we're driven or we're moved we're persuaded by love, we begin to worship and our worship begins to bring the earth into agreement with God. Now let me say something very important. Let's put a quick little pause. Worship could be anything. Worship is obedience. Worship is, you know, I, uh, that, that guy cut me off in traffic, but I'm going to bless him. Right? That's worship. But, and, and worship, yes, it's a lifestyle, but, but I want to say something very important. There is a special emphasis that God places on singing, making music, or praise that he places on no other expression of worship. You have to understand this. What I'm talking about today is the literal act of worship, right? There's, there's, move, there's things that you do that are worship, but then there's what's called praise, and praise is when worship is manifested through singing, dance, and music. And that's a whole other message. Maybe we can do a part two to this on why God places special emphasis on singing and making music, but you have to understand something. If you are a believer, you are created to worship, and if you're created to worship, you have to sing. You actually have to make a sound. You actually have to participate. I don't like it. It doesn't matter. You have to. If you, listen, if we are going to do this thing, then you got to do it. Amen. If we, I mean, I'm telling you, that you and I, I wish maybe we could do a part two of this on the power of singing. But when you understand the power of singing, you will understand. Guys, do you know that in every sound wave, in every little, little song note inside of your breath, the kingdom of God is there. And when you lift up your voice and you begin to sing, something happens that's more powerful than when you just speak. More powerful. And I'm not a worship leader. I'm a horrible singer. But I know that 10 minutes of singing has more power and authority than 10 hours of preaching. Because God's not enthroned on my preaching. He's enthroned on my praising. Amen. I want you to look at it real quick. Psalm 68. Look to your neighbor and say, praise is the highway. Or worship is the highway. How is God going to connect heaven and earth? Worship. Let me show you this, Psalm 68, verse 4. Now, Psalm 68, it's the famous psalm, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, you know that one? Who wants to see God arise and his enemies scattered scattered in, in, in Bristol? Yeah, in your family, in your finances, whatever. Well, here's what you got to do, verse 4. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. You want to see God arise? You want to see His enemies scattered? You want to see darkness pushed back? You want to see healing come to your family? Salvation come to your family? You want to see breakthrough in your city? Sing to God. Sing praises to His name. That's incredible. And look at this. Extol Him and lift up a song to Him who rides on the clouds by His name Yah and rejoice before Him. Now that phrase extol him or lift up a song in Hebrew literally means build him a highway. I'll say it to you like this. God is saying this. I'll come if you build me a highway. And that highway is called lift your voice and begin to sing. Begin to declare the wonderful works of God. Begin to prophesy with your voice. And as you sing, I'll ride on the highway of your song and bring my kingdom to the earth. Now I want to end with a practical thing. So there's so many nuances we can go into this, but I really, what I really want you to understand is that why your worship matters. It's important because if we want to see the kingdom of God, we have to worship. We actually have to part... And, and, you, and you don't worship by... That'd be re- you don't worship by just showing up. You worship by participating. Like 11, we need to get delivered from like little league mentality. You have to do something. Not everyone's a champion. You got to win. You got to show up. You got to do something. Right? You, you're not going to have a successful marriage if you just sleep in the same bed. Amen. Or you just share the same bank account. No. You got to do something to, for it, for you for what you do when you're standing on that little brown chair, you have to do something for it to be considered worship. Do you hear what I'm saying? And this isn't because I made this up, because there's days I don't feel like it, it's because it's what God says. Right. Right. And so God gives seven Different, distinct expressions of worship that are used in the Bible. We're called the seven different Hebrew words of praise. So in English, you have the word praise, but there's seven different Hebrew words, and they all mean different things. And they're all... And and in the Bible, let me just give you an understanding, in the book of Psalms were the lyrics of the songs that they sang in the tabernacle of David. David built a tent... They did 24-7 worship for 33 years. 288 singers, 4,000 musicians, 4,000 full-time workers, completely funded by King David's pocket. One billion U.S. dollars a year so that there would be 24-7 day and night worship in Jerusalem. And God says, I'm going to do it again. Imagine Bristol. Imagine Bristol. Imagine this place becoming a hub of 24-7 worship. Singers, all, a whole generation of singers and musicians coming to this place in love, singing out before the Lord day and night. Imagine you could get up at 2 in the morning and say, I'm going to drive to Bristol and worship. Could you imagine if Bristol became synonymous with worship as opposed to crime? Could you imagine? Do you know that before Jerusalem was Jerusalem, it was an enemy stronghold, and God sent a worshiper to change? God sent a David to change the destiny. Imagine if we came and began to change the name and the destiny of this city. Amen. Why not? That's why we're here. If you don't believe that, then go home. (laughs) We need people that believe this thing. And so in the book of Psalms, these were the lyrics, these were the songs. When when you hear praise the Lord to lift your hands, it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. They were saying, do this. Because this is what God is doing and we're responding to what God is doing. So when the singer in the tabernacle of David said lift your hands, every single buddy that was surrounding the Ark of the Covenant lifted their hands. When they said shout, everybody shouted. When they said sing a new song, everyone sang a new song. It wasn't optional. It was what? It was, this is the culture of worship. If you're going to show up, then show up. If not, stay home. That's biblical worship. Not American, biblical. It wasn't a democracy. It was a theocracy. I'm going to give you the seven Hebrew words. I normally have them written down, but they're on my phone. Is that okay? All right, let's do this. You guys excited? So how about this? I will read them, I'll explain them, and then we'll do all seven. Who's ready? Come on! I almost wore my Dallas Cowboys jersey today. <laughs> but I didn't feel like getting thrown out of the window. <laughs> for some reason, I just thought of somebody. went Woo! And I just thought of the Cowboys. All right. Seven different Hebrew words for praise. Are you guys blessed? So the first one is the one, uh, I feel like such a millennial here, but I'm just going to use my phone. Because <laughs> I can't see it. It's Yada. It's Y-A-D-A-H. Yadah. And the word yada is to uh, extend the hands, to lift your hands, to raise your hands. But one of the other ways, this is something you learned, that yada could be translated is it also means to bemoan or to groan. So it's the lifting of the hands, or the, you know, we, we see this a lot in American Southern music. Like... And so sometimes, in, a t- in the presence of the Lord, in the tabernacle of David, they would yada, they would lift their hands and they would begin to release this moan. Mm-hmm. And it was this deep, crying out, up to deep, guttural sound that could not be expressed with words. If you go to, I'll just read it to you. Psalm 63.1, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. I will yada. I'm going to, I will bless you and I'm going to stand before you. I'm going to lift my hands and release this deep inner belly sound in honor of your name. Look at this, Psalm 107. Oh, that men would praise. Oh, that men would yada. Oh, that men would lift their hands and bemoan the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That's yada. You guys writing these down? The next one is todah. T-O-W-D-A-H. toda, And it means thanksgiving or to give thanks. So one of the ways that we praise is by lifting up our hands. Another way that we praise is to give thanks. And they all have different forms and functions. I won't get too much into that. So it means to give thanks. Look at Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer unto God praises. Or toda, Offer unto God thanksgiving. So sometimes we're responding in thanksgiving. Not just for what he has done, but for what he said he's gonna do and he hasn't done yet. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we did that, if we just began, if we had a time in the service, we said, Okay, what do you what does God promise? Let's start giving him thanks for it. Yeah. You're believing for an unsaved loved one. So God, I thank you, that so-and-so is gonna be yeah. saved. I thank you. And you begin to sing out prophetically in thanksgiving for what God hasn't done yet. So, 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 right, so offer unto God praise. Or offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows unto the Most High. The next one is Shabbat. S H A B A C H, Shabbat. And it means to shout or to address in a loud tone to command or to triumph. I think we need a little bit of Shabbat in this house. Can you 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 imagine going to war just standing there? Like, oh, well, I hope we win. (laughs) Could you imagine? Guys, there is... I heard somebody say this in a message. It's so good. There is a real devil who really wants to kick your butt. Most of it we just... I mean, sometimes we just need to... Oh, we just need to shout. And I think some of us, I really feel this from the Lord. You haven't shouted in a long time and I feel like God wants to clear the cobwebs out and it's time to release a fresh shout. So like Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands... All people shout to God with the voice of triumph. One generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. One generation shall shout. One generation is going to release. Could you imagine that we begin to disciple the next generation by shouting and singing these declaratory songs about the goodness of God? Maybe the reason your kids... Don't want to worship your God. It's because your God, the, 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 the example that you've given is He's nothing to shout about. Amen. Amen. We're so quiet. We're so timid and embarrassed about our God. Amen. Verse, five, uh, verse 5. Next one Barak, our favorite president. B A R A K, Barak. Barack. And it means to kneel, to bow, or to bless. Sometimes. You get on your knee. It's, it's, it's an act of blessing. Psalm 96. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Or David said in 1 Chronicles 29 20, now bless the Lord, or to bow the rock. The next one, it's one of my favorites, is Zamar. Z A M A R, Zamar. And it literally means to pluck the strings of an instrument with the tip of the finger. And that Psalm 68, 4 says, sing to God, sing praise. It says, shul zamar, sing to God while making music. Literally. So sometimes God will literally say musicians begin to prophesy. Do you know that you can do with your instrument what a vocalist can do? And do you know that, I didn't, I won't have time to get into this, but maybe the next time we teach, but the human body is the equivalent of an entire symphony. So sometimes the way we praise is by making music. Now the next two, my two favorite. Halal. Does that sound like a word you guys know? Yeah. Hallelujah. You know what hallelujah means? It's not a random word. It's a command. It's give God a halal. It's literally what it means. Yah, the shortened version of the, the name of God. Give God a halal. Let me tell you what a halal is. Halal is not hallelujah. That's what most of us think halal is. right? We're like Hallelujah. No, that's not, to halal is to, it's to rave, to boast, to act madly, ravishly foolish and spin like a top. That is halal. That's halal. So when you see hallelujah, it's saying stop what you're doing and lose your mind in wild, excessive, what looks like your drunk celebration to God. So when the angels of heaven at the end of the age begin to declare hallelujah for the Lord our God omnipotent reigns, they're not just doing hallelujah. There is this wild, excessive, almost vulgar, drunk-looking, rip-your-clothes-off celebration to the name of God. That's halal. When you see hallelujah in scriptures, it's saying lose your become even more undignified right. than this the sad thing is most believers have probably never given god a good halal. Mm. Mm. to sing hallelujah and not halal is like saying i love you when it's just words and there's no heart behind it the last one so all there's seven six god moves through all six but the seventh one is special The Hebrew word, tehillah. Tehillah. Not tequila. Kill that old man in you. Lord says to kill him with tequila. Tehillah. And it's to sing or to sing. It's a prophetic or a spiritual song. It's the idea of a new song. T-E-H-I-L-L-A-H. T-E-H-I-L-L-A-H. And it means to sing a song or to sing to the Lord. It's a new song, a spiritual song. Psalm 22.3, the Lord God is enthroned on the tehillah, on the praises of his people. This is incredible. God will move when you lift your hands. He'll move when you shout. He moves when you dance. He moves when you bless. But he's enthroned when you sing. Not just when you sing. It's when you begin to sing out a new song. A song given to you by the Holy Spirit. Because God wants to take our worship to the next level. Do you want to come up first? Do you want me to do the seven? Is that the seventh one? That was the seventh one. Then we're going to do them. I just want to see something. Yeah, come here.
0: Come on, was that good? Yes. Yes. Come on. Yeah, the reason why I wanted to interrupt Jose today is because um, we were just feeling the spirit for Dana. to come on up on the piano? And we wanted you, obviously, model. Yeah, we're going to well. do it. I don't know if you have a scripture verse that was on, on your heart, I know Psalm 68 was something that we were thinking maybe to declare out to the Lord, but like, kind of almost like mimic, we're not mimic, um, pattern what we are doing all yeah. this with, with Dana and you. So, yeah, so what we want to just do, guys, is, you know, we can, we can talk about all of this, and, you know, Jose was mentioning this in the message, but, you know, we can just talk about this, and, you know, then you're going to go out and you're going to go watch the Eagles, right? And then you're going to wake up tomorrow and be like, yeah, what was yesterday? Yeah. You know? So we want to, like, really empower you to do that. So we're going to have Dana on the keys, and we're going to hand it over to Jose. But, see, we, we want to practice... Disagreement with God, and we want to practice this and have the Lord enthroned over our town. Amen. Come on, we need to be empowered in, in, into the steps into doing this at Bristol. So I just wanted to uh, encourage yeah, you guys and head it back over to Jose.
1: I, actually, I want to end with this verse that we're going to practice. Why don't we stand to our feet? You guys, blessed. Yes. This is one of the most famous verses we quote it all the time. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. I want to read that to you differently now. The way it's written in Hebrew. Enter into his gates with Todah. Enter into his gates giving thanks for the things that God has yet to accomplish that you're believing for. Enter, right, we, we, how many of us have read that verse before? Enter into his gates while giving thanks. And into his courts with Tehillah. You enter into his gates with Todah and you come into his courts with Tehillah. In other words, you can't come into the holy place without singing. You can't come in the door without giving thanks and you can't come into the holy place without singing. And then he's not done. And then it says, and be thankful to him and be yada, uh, uh, yada to him. Lift your hands in worship to him. And bless his name, Barak. Bow before his name. It's like four, what's it? Four of them. And, he, and, and David is setting for He says, "If you want to enter in, you got to do it."